So for the last several weeks, we have been looking at the quality of letting go. We've generated a lot of fruitful discussion in both of our groups. So these past two weeks, we're looking a little, a little more at the idea, what does it mean to let go? How do we let go? And what should we let go of? Last week, we really looked at this question of how much do I need to let go? While part of us often has some sense that we're holding on to something that we just need to let go of, the reality is sometimes we don't want to. There is a sort of buzz or clinging or a sort of righteous right anger that it's hard to let down uh, in terms of letting go, whatever, a comfort in things we don't want to release. So the first step, obviously, is noticing where we may just not want to let go of something. I shared the quote from Ajahn Chah. If you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will have complete peace. This week, I want to look at when to let go and one means of helping us understand the direction, the energy, the how to let go. So to start, the when to let go. I thought I would share a beautiful teaching also from Buddhist psychology that talks about being caught in the eight worldly winds. If you can get a handle on these eight worldly winds, they pretty much cover the entire terrain of what needs to be let go of. I liked the way Psychology Today, one writer in Psychology Today described this as these eight worldly winds, a predictable set of preoccupations that drive much of our emotional sufferings. So to look at this predictable set of preoccupations, what we humans get caught in the thick of that is causing our suffering. The eight worldly winds come in these set, four sets of opposites. The one that we crave, that we want, and the one we want to avoid. The first one is the set of pleasure and pain. Another one is the set of gain and loss. The other, it, the other two very related to each other, fame and insignificance, sometimes translated as success and failure. And the last one, praise and blame. 
So you might hear these and think, what's wrong with wanting pleasure, wanting to get away from pain? What's wrong with wanting gain in our life and getting away from loss? What's wrong with wanting praise in our life and to get away from blame? Nothing wrong with any of those if you can make a true happiness, a true, lasting, constant happiness out of a myth that will never be real. There is no such thing as a life that just has pleasure and no pain. No such thing as gain and no loss, praise and no blame, success and no failure. It just doesn't exist. When we can get a handle on how we get caught up in this myth of wanting one, wanting to be rid of the other as the path to happiness, and unhook from that path and look for something deeper, something different. There's a profound freedom that is present right here. So if we just start with pleasure and pain, and I'm going to toss into this gain and loss because there is a sort of um, congruency here between these when I hear this pain, uh, pleasure versus pain, gain versus loss, I remember the story that Tara Brock tells of a man with early onset Alzheimer's. It's a story I've shared several times. Uh, so if you've heard it before, just hearing it fresh with this idea of letting go of pleasure and pain, letting go of being hooked from the wanting only gain in our life, trying to get away from loss when pain and loss are an inevitable part of what we work with. So one time she was leading a fairly large retreat. She was told that there would be a man there with early onset Alzheimer's and he would have his wife present with him to help him navigate through the retreat. At the beginning of the retreat, she picked him out fairly quickly. Not so much because he was um, blatantly in need of support and help, but more so because there was a particular way he was carrying herself, himself that struck her deeply. So when he asked for an interview, a time to speak with her, she said, yes. Uh, and he came to the interview. And before he could ask a question, she said, can I ask you something first? He said, yes. She said, she asked him, what gives? Here you have early onset Alzheimer's, really difficult diagnosis. And there is a way I can see you walking through this retreat that is remarkable, that has grounding. I don't remember her exact words, but, but what gives? How are you able to do this? Hold this very difficult thing and carry yourself in this way. What he said to her was, 
It's just that I don't see it as a problem. It's hard sometimes, really hard, but not a problem. It's like the leaves when they fall off the trees in the autumn. That is the unhooked radical freedom to be able to work with both the pleasure and the pain of life, the gain and the loss of life, without turning what's here that we can't change, what's really already here that we have no control over, without turning that into a problem. Hard sometimes, really hard. So we acknowledge the fullness of the journey it takes to meet this. And we can do that without turning it into a problem. So if you just pause for your own self for a moment, Is there something that you can tell you're holding on to as a problem that's hard, but it actually doesn't help to see it as wrong that it's here? That's not easy when it's the really challenging stuff that we face in life. I just think back to when I got the diagnosis with breast cancer a few years ago, um, um, treated for breast cancer. When I first got the diagnosis, after I had that initial shock wave, definitely had the initial shock wave, the next thing that came up for me was this sense of, oh my gosh, this can't be right. I had thought about any number of things happening in this life um, that would have been unwanted, undesired happenings. But I have to say, breast cancer never, ever, ever, ever crossed my radar. Never thought about it. Never went, even even as my mammogram came up with, with suspicious things on it, Still, even though I had to go for a breast biopsy, still never crossed my mind that it could actually be cancer. Not sure where that came from. I've imagined plenty of other things me, yes, getting, but not this one. So after that initial shock, the first thing that came up and was really noticing this was this wanting to go into a fight with it. But this can't be. I eat a healthy diet. I exercise. I don't have any family history of breast cancer. There, there, this, this can't be. And the reality was, at that point, it was breast cancer. It was purely, thoroughly diagnosed. It was breast cancer. The fight I wanted to have with that was kind of crazy fight. It was a part of my mind that wanted to fight with what was already here. Here's where I love the practice. 
I could catch the lunacy of that. I could catch the part of the mind that wanted to go into this fight mode with no, wait a minute, not, not possible. And back up, take a breath and recognize the energy drain, the misalignment with what I needed to show up for in that moment if I put my energy into fighting what was already here. And that stepping back, part of what was here was this is not wanted. This is hard, really hard. But can I honestly say it's wrong that I got it? Reality is People have been getting cancer for as long as we have been able to document what people have gotten and died from. You look at ancient mummies, there's cancer in them. Cancer is not a new thing. It is part of what can happen to living in a human body. And then when you add the fact that we're pumping into our environment so many toxins, poisons on top of it, you know, of course the risk for what our bodies already have a pre, pre, um, a tendency in this direction, of course that risk gets magnified. Who knows what I've been exposed to in my life? Who knows? So when I could take this larger view of, oh yeah, from everything that has gone on in our human development, both in terms of just the nature of impermanent human bodies that have of the power to get sick and ill and the amount of chemical toxicity we're adding on top of it. How can I think that it's wrong that I got this. It's just the nature of what happened with my body in my life in these conditions. Unhooking from gain versus loss. Unhooking from pleasure versus pain is what opened up a very radical freedom for my journey to be, my journey with breast cancer to be very, very different than it would have been if I didn't know how to meet it with letting go. So the other two, fame versus insignificance, success, failure, or praise and blame. This week has been an incredibly interesting week to think about the power of unhooking from fame versus insignificant success versus failure. In the example of Simone Biles, that took a radical amount of courage to be able to say that her mental well-being should not be dependent upon whether she wins an Olympic gold or not. Her ability to step away from that roller coaster, 
that she was fairly clear in that moment in her life there was doing her harm, not bringing her happiness, well-being, health, not bringing any of those things. It's interesting, we sometimes can get caught up in our new media craze thinking this fascination with success and fame is a new phenomenon. It's not. This is a 2,600-year-old teaching uh, that we humans can get caught in these, these traps. And being able to depersonalize that, it's not personal. It's just the nature of these brains and their vulnerabilities to the eight worldly winds. Praise and blame, not, uh, it's very related to the success and failure, but much more immediate. If I can, and, and to work with it is so freeing because what I have had to learn in my life reluctantly, but have had to learn absolutely, there is no amount of praise that I can ever receive that will make me immune to the fact that I will anger some people. No amount of goodwill and trying to do my best um, will make me immune to really pissing some people off. If I let that blame that comes destroy my sense of self-worth, it makes me non-functional in a way that serves no one. If I can unhook my self-worth from praise and blame, then there are things in both praise and in blame that I can learn to make my life stronger, allow me to show up even more in the way that I really care about. But that requires a radical self-acceptance that is unhooked from a need for external validation or unhooked for a need not to have external invalidation, independent of either. Really beautiful to think about the strength of the strength and the clarity of self-acceptance that it took for Simone Biles to step away where she did. So ultimately, letting go, when we catch where we're caught up in any of these eight worldly winds, it becomes a sort of reality check for us. It becomes the guide that helps us notice the distance between how we want things to be and how things really are. If I can narrow that gap and bring it so how I want things to be is so much less relevant than my ability to be with how things are, just as they are. Really hard sometimes, but not a problem. That changes everything in how I deal with the fact of the ups and downs of life.
So once we can see what to let go of, then I think what comes up for many people is, but how? How do I do this? And there is no one answer. This is obviously a long-term practice of learning to recognize the difference between being, I mean, physically clenched into wanting something or wanting something to not be and the letting go, the literal physical release and opening and free freedom that comes from that release. How to move in that direction is a lifelong practice and lots and lots and lots of aids to do it. So I just want to name one that came up for me um, uh, in this in this few weeks where we've been looking at, at letting go. I shared last week that after the second group discussion around letting go that was so rich, uh, I went home and I finished the novel I had been reading, a novel called Maya, M-A-Y-A, by C.W. Huntington, Jr., really interesting book. Um, The author was a Buddhist scholar, uh, university professor, translator uh, of both uh, Tibetan and Sanskrit, and wrote a novel about a University of Chicago grad student working on his PhD dissertation while also trying to figure out life and happiness in India in the 1970s. When I went home to finish the book, the end of the book was all about how to let go, one version. And it was just such a beautiful, serendipitous ending of this book. Uh, I really want to share that as one way of orienting ourselves in the direction of release and freedom. So at the end of the book, this young PhD student um, finds his way to a Tibetan Lama scholar who shares his basic recipe for happiness. And this is a paraphrase, but the recipe goes something like this. Notice that a truly happy time is always something welcome. Therefore, welcome is enough for happiness. Whatever time is welcome, that is always a source of happiness. That's a powerful reframe. Whatever time is welcome, that is always a source of happiness. I think happiness may not be quite the right word here. I think about the the time when my mother was dying. Would I use the word happy? (laughs) No, my mother was dying. Was there some part of me that was available to not making it into a problem? 
that showed up open-heartedly to my mother's very sacred journey of dying. My mother had this way that was just profoundly beautiful of wide open welcoming the, the dying process uh, in a way that, that she's not alone in that. There are people that move into a sacred zone around the end of life and to be in the presence of someone walking that journey with that kind of open-hearted curiosity, awakeness, aliveness to dying, that's a profound gift. Uh, and I have an immense amount of gratitude for that time that I was able to be with her um, while she was dying. Would I use the word happy? No but welcome to the reality of the fullness of life and its sacred possibility? Absolutely. What does that word mean in light of the hard things we're letting go of, that we're problem-making out of, that the problem-making part of it isn't serving our life, isn't opening us up to our deepest ability to engage from our depth with what is hard here in a way that we care about, in a way that being hospitable to the preciousness of life in this moment now, just as it is hard, really hard sometimes, but sacred nonetheless. That kind of welcome opens up a totally different possibility for how I can meet anything that arises. This is the wisdom of the poem Rumi, The Guest House. talking about the unwanted guest, the depression, the meanness. He says, be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. What is it like to embrace the whole of life as the path of healing, whatever it is that's here, as the path of healing? From the novel Maya, another paraphrase. The welcoming is related to stopping our judging. Stopping our trying to choose what we don't have choice over. It's a really key line there. Trying to choose what we don't have choice over. If we can do this, if we can learn to sit quiet and welcome pain and pleasure equally, like two strangers coming for a visit, that changes everything. 
no need to go out and invite these guests. They will come and they will go. And if you be nice when they come and nice when they go, you will have no problems. Very simple. Just had to laugh at that last, very simple. Yeah, it is. It's very simple when we understand how to do it. Giving ourselves the room and the time and the depth of practice to get ourselves there. That's what this journey is about. So this kind of radical hard wisdom, it's recognized in every spiritual tradition I know of. And I want to end with a beautiful expression of this same wisdom from the contemplative prayer tradition. It's called the welcoming prayer. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within. And for that last line, if there's other languaging that works better for you, I invite you to find it instead of getting caught up in the pain of language that doesn't work for you. How does this line open something for you? I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within. So it's always important to note when we're welcoming what is. We're welcoming what we don't have choice over that's here in this moment now. And it is the very fact of welcoming, the very fact of letting go of our craving for what is not possible in this moment now that opens us up to love, presence, and action in a whole new way. Thank you.